Welcome to City Stories, the podcast by Energy Cities. I'm Miriam Eisenman and I'm your host. This podcast is for those who want to learn how cities go about with the energy transition, how they take action with courage and creativity. Sometimes it's good to look into history when we want to better see the future. That's why I've interviewed the Belgian academic historian Tine de Moor. Her teaching and research at the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands focus on how collective action developed over time. We talked about the trends she observes in cooperatives and about cooperation in times of crisis. I first asked Tina why we should actually cooperate. To start with, uh, humans are cooperative animals um, and cooperation has been quite dominantly in our history as human beings. Uh, dominantly present, often actually more than competition. So I think in many cases, um, people are already being very cooperative, but it's not being noticed. Um, and I think in times when we're, well, when we're especially, um, well, humanity is, um, is, is facing a lot of uh, big questions. And I'm not just talking about the corona crisis, but of course also about climate change and other Uh, potential uh, fundamental changes to our society. I think we should really uh, take up our capacity as a human beings to cooperate rather than compete and uh, build on that. Mm -hmm. But but what about? I mean, you're you're working on participation and and collective initiatives for many years now. But I uh, think overall we're rather living in a society where individualism and self interest prevail. So how does that that fit together? Yes, of course that's true, and that's something I think we've seen particularly developing in in Western countries over the the past two centuries. Uh, basically since, well, since the change into the new regime in the early uh, 19th century, you see that the individual becomes more central to society than, than collectivities and associations, etc. Um, so I think, yeah, um, we have lost um, a lot of our capacity to cooperate um, and also our capacity to think collectively. But I think we, we can also link this to the emergence of welfare state whereby governments have been doing the thinking for us to some extent um, and that has has limited our our, uh, our need to uh, to build solidarity networks uh, throughout our lives but right now I think um, we definitely are in a period that we have to revive this because we also see that other types of governance regimes such as well, the government the state but also the market uh, they do not work um, they do not always work they do not always deliver um, so the, the the movement we've seen recently uh, all over Europe whereby uh, citizens decide not to rely on state or market but develop their own organizations um, and actually even compete with the market especially for example if you look at um, Energy, the energy sector, you see that um, citizens there to compete with large uh, market, par uh, market parties, um, especially there, I think, um, in the last two, two decades, more or less, we've seen that there's a lot of potential still among citizens to start building their, their own cooperatives and um, yeah, work towards a new economy, basically. Do you feel the tide is turning 
even more now from self-interest towards uh, yeah more altruistic um, behavior, uh, or is that a one-shot um, <laughs> optimism that we have and that might not necessarily last? Uh, what we see today is basically is a sort of acute form of sorry ad hoc form of um, collective action and solidarity and and to to a large extent also altruism. Um, and I think that's that's very much related to the crisis. People obviously suddenly see that they can be of meaning to others, even people they don't know, and that's a form of altruism, basically. But what I am talking about goes back, uh, well, already to the, the beginning of the 21st century. Uh, we have data on this for, for several countries in Europe, and we see that collectivities, often in the form of uh, cooperatives, when they sort of formalize, um, they are... Uh, becoming really popular from the well the, the period 2004 2005 then you see a real gr rapid more rapid growth you see sort of uh, the growth being uh, sped up at, at around that period uh, and that goes for definitely the energy sector but also for care cooperatives in some countries like for example the Netherlands uh, also for cooperatives uh, that are uh, thinking of uh, developing new food systems, for example, in community-supported agriculture, but you also see it in uh, the uh, in uh, areas such as management of nature reserves. Um, so you see it in, in many different um, domains. And what is really important to note here is that the, the formation of this these collectivities started way before uh, the economic crisis from 2008 onwards. We see that in the data. And of course, a crisis can have a positive impact on people's agency, on people's willingness to uh, start acting themselves. And it can it can make people angry and afraid to act, but it can also activate them. Um, and of course, the economic crisis may have had such effect, um, but we do see it taking off already before. And that's important to note. Um, because if that's the case, then there are other potentially deeper motivations of people to start to start to cooperate. You're not only lecturing yourself uh, on on cooperation, but if I heard it well, you have yourself a very personal experience with with different cooperatives. Um, maybe can you tell us a bit more about uh, your involvement in cooperatives and also the differences you see. Uh, across sectors um, in in that field. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a researcher that tries to combine academic insight and um, well, uh, real life experience, so to speak. So I am a member of many different cooperatives. That's true. I'm a member of a, 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 a pretty large an energy cooperative in Belgium uh, for several food cooperatives. Uh, but also I'm a, I'm a member, a board member of a pharmaceutical cooperative. So one that runs several apothecaries in, in, in the city and well, in a wider region, actually. And I, I find it very uh, interesting to be part of that um, and to learn how it, it actually works in practice. What are the ways to build a bridge between um, yeah, the public and the private, um, the policy feel, field and the citizen associations? Most of the time until now, it's still very often two parallel worlds. Um, at Energy Cities, we observe, fortunately, that there are more and more municipal 
um, councils who are um, looking into um, yeah, cooperation with civil society that can take different forms, but this is still something quite new. Um, what do you see from your more uh, academic perspective when you look in, in uh, at, at European cooperatives? How many of them are, are um, cooperating with uh, the city council, for example? Um, and um, what would it need to, to, to make this a bit uh, stronger uh, all over Europe? Yeah, well, it's interesting to look at the interaction between uh, state, Marcus, and uh, the citizen collectivities over time, because you see that there has been quite a quite a lot of interaction. These are not governance models that stand on their own as such. No? Um, and um, to some extent, well, to, to a large extent, actually, they have filled gaps that were left by the state uh, or, and or by the market, some, sometimes both. We see that, uh, for example, with the 19th century mutuals, which were sort of cooperative insurance systems, um, they actually filled up uh, the gap created by the government uh, by dissolving their predecessors, the guilds. So the guilds in the early modern period until the end of the 18th century, they provided insurance systems for workers and, and, and employees, but they were dissolved um, So by the government. The government did not fill the gap herself. The market was not developed as yet to do that. So what you see is that... Um, citizens actually start filling the gap themselves. Um, they start uh, making, start setting up mutuals. It's also the time when you see the labor unions developing to strive for more worker rights. And once they've done that, um, you then also see that the market uh, take over some of the functions they've prepared, so to speak, and the government does. What you see is the, mar uh, the market, in, 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 in this case, for example, uh, companies that have uh, large factories start setting up insurance schemes for their employees themselves, but also the government start building basically the welfare state that we uh, that developed from the late 19th century onwards. So they start providing uh, nationwide insurance schemes for a particular type of laborers, for employees in general, etc. So you see that there is an interaction. Eh? So when when citizens' collectivities jump in when there's a gap but then it's also sometimes a wake-up call for governments and markets to, to start taking over those yeah. functions again i do want to add something because we now create the impression that that all people who are participating in the collectivity are doing this because they feel vulnerable or they need to join against uh, well, uh, big threats, etc. That's true mm -hmm. to some extent, but you see a huge variety in the Netherlands and elsewhere in um, the reasons why cooperatives are set up. It's not just vulnerability. If we look, for example, uh, at the, the, the energy sector, I think it, it's clear there that, well, if you want to join an energy cooperative, in many cases you do have to buy a um, some some shares, so mm -hmm. you, you're probably not um, living among the most vulnerable people um, of society. So you can you have some some means to invest, and uh, of course we could claim that we set up energy cooperatives because of the vulnerability of our climate and our our, our uh, natural resources. That's definitely true, 
but um, the organizations that are being set up uh, in, in those sectors like energy, etc., are not set up because of a lack of alternatives uh, in market or state. It's not because market or state leave a huge gap. Of course, market parties could invest far more in sustainable energy and drop their uh, fossil fuel energy production. Um, but um, there are sustainable alternatives. Uh, you, you, you can get sustainable energy from a market partner as well already. So it's not like there's no options for an average citizen to get uh, sustainably produced energy uh, through the market. Mm-hmm. That's the one side. On the other side, and the, the cases I was talking about before, like uh, insurance and, and uh, care cooperatives, those are basically at the other side of the spectrum, where in many cases, indeed, they are set up because there is no good market alternative. Um, it's too expensive in the, uh, through the market or it's inaccessible. It's not it's sometimes not even just not available. There's no alternative through the market provided because the, the critical mass on the demand side is not large enough to actually activate the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, yes, those are built up um, from a sort of vulnerability perspective from a, a, a gap in the market and, and not provide provision no provision by the state, but it's not always the case. Do you have any idea or a finding on how um, municipalities can best cooperate and really support citizens' collectives on the long run? Because quite often what we hear also from energy cooperatives uh, in Europe is that there is a... um, like trigger moment where the municipality would um, start uh, a cooperative kickoff, but then this dies off quite quickly and the cooperative feels uh, left alone for, for, for the remaining time. Um, what, 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 are, what are any ideas from your side on, on how this can become really a, a lasting uh, partnership between local authorities and energy cooperatives? Yeah, I, I recognize what you're saying completely. And it's just not in energy, it's in any sector. Now, our economy and, and you know policy is directed towards innovation on the whole and economic policy. So anything that's new and, and shining uh, gets support and, and sometimes funding. And that's great. You know, we, we love it because it's new. But once it needs to you know, grow and develop and become a solid organization, then, of course, after a while, people lose a bit of their enthusiasm because it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes also with these cooperatives, in many cases, they start with volunteers. So not with some, you know, somebody who's full employed to support this process. Um, so after a while, you see indeed that the enthusiasm drops a bit and you, you see sort of growth problems. Um, but that's not just for energy, that's all over um well, all over this uh, cooperative startup, so to, to speak. And then, of course, the government and also financial institutions, uh, they don't have the instruments because all the instruments they develop and they design are geared towards startups, towards, um, you know, innovative stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're left alone. We're actually doing research right now um, on the basis of, of lengthy interviews with a lot of cooperatives uh, on their challenges. And 
uh, we're trying to capture what um, the challenges right now are. And what is interesting is that oh, they, they have a huge number of challenges to start with. But what is interesting is that there's a, a, a very marked difference between the challenges they see as cooperatives and the challenges governments put forward, definitely local governments put forward right away when you're talking about how to cooperate. And one of them, so we talk mainly right now in this process of research with cooperatives and, and ask about their challenges. And hardly any of the cooperatives we've been doing these interviews with um, mentions liability issues. Um, whereas if you talk to a local government, the first thing they would mention probably is, um, so who's going to be liable for things going wrong? So imagine a local organization comes up with a request to use a, I don't know, a, 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 an empty uh, factory building mm-hmm. um, and start using it and, and set up a collaboration with local government. The first thing local government will request are, uh, is the assurance that they will not be liable if anything goes wrong, if the building burns down, so to speak. Of course, that's all very um, understandable from the perspective of the government. But it's, it's really striking to see that cooperatives are not busy with solving that issue at all. Mm-hmm. And from the cooperative perspective, that's very understandable as well. So you can already see that that's often where collaboration goes wrong. Um, whereas there are legal means, there are uh, organizational means to solve such problems. Right? Um mm-hmm. And one of them is is to set up indeed a sort of um, what I, 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 I formulated often as a sort of antidotum to the public-private partnership. So why not think of public-collective partnerships, whereby um, governments are partners in in the organisation, and also you know take for example in a cooperative um, take part of the shares mm-hmm. um, and actually become the representatives of the local population that does not necessarily also invest in that cooperative. And so you can you can have people who are wealthy enough to buy a number of shares and and um, actually invest in, in uh, such a such a new initiative, which will be necessary, by the way, over the past few past uh, over the next few uh, years because well. Uh, governments yeah, are now massively down. spending their money yeah. on other things, on on care, yeah. on on health. So mm. we will find, we'll definitely need to find new investment models in general. And I think we should look at citizens to, in some countries, uh, such, uh, citizens have plenty of savings. I live in Belgium, and uh, there's a well, citizens have on average quite a lot of savings. They could also invest in good. Uh, social enterprises which have a societal mm-hmm. impact but we also see that many of the co- these cooperatives say we don't do not want to be defended and uh, dependent on um, government funding we mm-hmm. are not interested even in working together with the local government because it's so cumbersome and if we accept their money we also have to abide to the rules they set us you know on the other hand uh <laughs> It also reduces the government's capacity to actually influence that process, of course. And there's other way ways to influence the process 
than uh, through subsidies. You could sim- you could also um, not subsidize, but uh, become a partner in initiatives like that. But honestly, when we look at the energy transition, in any case, uh, local authorities don't even have uh, the choice, do they, uh, not to in- involve citizens and not to support citizen initiatives? Because uh, if we want to achieve the, the 2030 or uh, even 2050 mm-hmm. targets for a climate and energy, um, the, the local administration itself won't, won't be able to do much uh, on its own as emissions are not necessarily being produced uh, or just a a tiny share actually of, of emissions of a territory are really uh, produced by the city administration itself. So um, I guess that the, for the energy field, the question is not necessarily if we should do it or if a local authority should cooperate, but rather uh, how how they can do it best and how they can make sure that this is a, really a sustained um, cooperation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, the challenges are so great that... Um We, we definitely uh, need that. I think the, the other domain, which is which is also, which could also encourage local governments, and there are, by the way, local governments doing that, um, but the, 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 it's the domain of, uh, you know, um, basically prevention. So uh, it's not, not, not just mitigation, uh, climate change mitigation we have to strive towards, but also look for means to, to simply reduce energy needs um, and I think the cooperative there has uh, interesting instruments to um, to collaborate with local governments there. Um, there are examples of, of energy cooperatives which invest in, uh, not invest in energy, but in uh, insulation, for example, insulation projects uh, mm-hmm. of local schools, uh, schools and, and other government buildings, for example. Um, and there, of course, they, they have... Um, A very interesting, um, yeah, they, they, they have an interesting objective for local governments as well. So um, reduction of energy use could be maybe even more so than energy production, uh, an objective for energy cooperatives. I think a lot of people still see energy cooperatives as uh, potential producers of energy, um, whereas definitely if you see them as social enterprises with primarily social environmental uh, goals and not so much commercial goals towards profit, then of course um, the reduction of energy should be far more priority for them. Um, yeah. And that, there's many opportunities there. Um, there's still many, many government buildings which yeah. have insufficient insulation, but there's no budget um, in the, the local city um, accounts mm-hmm. uh, to, to do the works. So mm. there's loads of opportunities there. So so just, um, and I think that will be my final question. Let's talk about those opportunities. I think we're in a, in a fascinating moment now. Like I, I see kind of a watershed moment where either we go back to the, to the previous normal or uh, we, we change things because we've learned through the COVID crisis that, for example, public services and common goods need to be valued uh, better. Um, there, there are different futures that are possible. Um, what, what would be your guess on how, how things evolve and how, especially in terms of uh, yeah, the energy 
good uh, and and the energy transition, we can um, take advantage of this current crisis and and make things maybe better than that what has been done before. Yeah, well, of course, we don't know how this all will evolve, uh, evolve but I think um, some of the the, the elements that um, this COVID crisis, but not just the COVID crisis, a lot. Well, there's many more crises around that, so to speak, political ones. Um, they have made clear that um, globalization, of course, has its downsides. We already knew that. But um, we have to reconsider, not just in energy, but in many cases, in many domains, um, global dependency and uh, in, in resource provision. Mm-hmm. And I think there's very good reasons in the energy sector political ones, technical ones, of course, ecological ones, to to really um, go back to local energy provision um, and keep it in the hands of local citizens. Energy is an incredibly valuable and important resource in our society, in our economy, and um, it's both for political and safety reasons important that energy is... Uh, remains in the hands of uh, those who directly need it, the citizens um, and the, co- the local companies and, and the governments. Um, but there's also a very important um, motivation um, for um, keeping it in the hands of citizens and involving them directly in both the, the, the prevention of energy use and the production of energy. Um, simply because it, it's being part of that process and being directly involved motivates people to, to do it. And there's many, I, I'm really fascinated by the number of articles uh, with interviews with psychologists these days on what kind of rules we need to make sure that people act for the common good, being that they don't spread the virus and so they behave according to the, the rules that are being set by uh, virologists. And they often say, and I'm always mind, you know, I'm always fascinated by the fact that people actually find this special. Uh, they say you have to involve people in the in the rules you make. You can't just tell them what to do because at some point the altruism will be finished and they will start doing what they want. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by the fact that apparently this is something new that we. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but it, it says everything about how little attention has been given to the need to involve the stakeholders um, in um, in the whole process around, well, energy, but, but basically any sector in society. Hmm. Um, and, of course, governments can make life easy for people and set standards, and that's exactly what they need to do. But the implementation of those standards, of how you behave in a in a viral crisis time, but also how you behave in in, in other uh, situations, not just crisis situations. I think you need to give more, um, well, uh, more collective uh, self regulation there. I'm I'm not saying that every single person should decide for him or herself how to behave vis-à-vis the, the rules or the general frameworks and the standards that are being set by the government. But um, we know that if people discuss these collectively, they come up with 
fair, doable, and um, efficient rules. They can do that. Mm. But we don't have the instruments anymore. And I think the collectivities that are emerging today are potentially useful instruments to set this sort of democratic um, decision-making process uh, on the rules we need in motion again. Uh, I see mm. them as a sort of schools of for democracy that could actually stimulate that process to bring back the the formation of the decision-making process and the actual involvement in it back to citizens and, you know, take, mm-hmm. take it a few steps, a few levels lower. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I hope that many local and also national policymakers heard your, especially your last words um, around, yeah, I, I hear that we need to get back to something that is more at human scale and um, with decision-making processes that are more, far more participative uh, to Yeah, to have a more democratic uh, society. So I hope that people will take up some of the lessons that uh, you helped us to learn today. My pleasure. Today's episode was brought to you by the EU project Empower. Empower explores how cities and citizens can manage the energy transition together in a fair, clean and democratic way. Participation can happen at various stages, from involving citizens, local NGOs or businesses in the policy design, to any stage of the energy value chain, for example, as shareholders or even prosumers. The Empower project gets funding from the European Horizon 2020 program. Go to the website municipalpower.org to learn more about Empower. And don't forget to regularly check out Energy Cities' website energy-cities.eu. We provide you with political updates and great stories around the energy transition in Europe. energy-cities.eu